Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to On The Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone, joined by Josh Newberg, Christopher Nee. We are bringing the energy today because the energy, quite frankly, was, was poopy on the last podcast. So... We have recruiting news, potentially some big news coming up, but it may happen like by the time you already listen to this podcast or not. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but we're also previewing the Notre Dame game. Some people are feeling pretty optimistic about FSU turning the corners, other not so much. And that's where we begin this uh, this podcast. We're going to preview Notre Dame. How you fellas doing this morning, though, before we get going? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. I feel great. A peek behind the curtain. Chris was like, I'm ready to do this podcast. So we, started, we started recording it. And then Chris went on to transcribe a Jordan Travis interview for 15 minutes while Josh and I just listened to it. It was hell. It was the worst thing I've listened to. To Just go back and listen to the same answer over and over again. We also learned Chris Nee has a terrible transcribing method. Yes. it was. I was like, what are you doing? What have you been doing for 20 years? I know why he doesn't like transcribing now. Have you, have you ever tried to transcribe with two guys constantly talking in your ear? <laughs> You're the one who said you're ready to go for the podcast. Can we get on with the show? Uh, <laughs> the energy's better. The content, not so much for this podcast mm. so far. All right. So. Okay. Hold on. I want to ask Brendan about the uh, the narrative that he painted that Jordan Travis can't throw. <laughs> and then he decides to write a column this week about how that narrative is wrong. Uh, how are you going to create your own narrative and then poke holes in, in your own narrative? And everyone, I, I always wonder why people don't like take me as, as someone who's nuanced is because I'm playing both sides quite clearly. <laughs> uh, not fair. It wasn't really a column and it's not really something I want to put it this way. There was some metrics there that pointed out that Jordan Travis was very there good. Were some at, interesting. Yeah. The, the, the stats are saying that he on passes that went 20 yards or more downfield this past week against an FCS opponent, just qualified there Jacksonville state. He completed four of six for, I can't remember the exact yards off the top of my head, but the passer rating was almost like 300 points. Like it was an insane passer rating when he went deep. Uh, And what I really though wanted to do was get the quotes from Kenny Dillingham and Mike Norvell out there with them talking about Jordan, finding some confidence with his arm strength, basically saying like that he had been hearing how, I don't know if it was our website or just fans on Twitter or whatever, about people saying, can he throw, can he not throw? We don't know. And Kenny Dillingham comes out and says, like, it was comical to him to think that people said he couldn't throw. So mm-hmm. I, I, I at least wanted to get their perspective, their words out there. I don't want to say I'm entirely bought in on Jordan Travis as a consistent passer yet. I am much more optimistic after watching and rewatching the game last week. Obviously, I think most people are. But, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see the coaches kind of – I don't know – you are the quotes, Josh. Would you say they're gassing him up a little bit? Like they're they're going all in on Jordan, it seems, as a passer. Yeah, and I think they have to going into this game. I mean, he's he's the only one that has shown the ability to to light a spark on the offense. I know Tate Rodemaker didn't get a whole lot of playing time in the last game, but look, he he got the start and and 
let's just say he didn't make the most of that opportunity, you know, throwing the pick six kind of ended his day. I think yeah, that's, um, that's fair to, that's fair to say he didn't make the most of it. He struggled. a little. Yeah, bit. he struggled. He struggled. So I think they got to gas up Jordan Travis heading into this game, whether or not it's going to be fruitful, who cares? You got to give the kids some confidence. Um, he, he did some really good things in the game against Jacksonville state where he got a little bit out of his comfort zone by throwing the football. So hopefully he builds on that this week. All right, so let's go into the Notre Dame preview, and we'll start. I want to look at Notre Dame, but Chris, while we're on the subject of Jordan Travis, I know you've been kind of kicking around some ideas on what you want to write about Jordan Travis this week. You've been asking questions about it. Uh, The offense, what do you think it's going to look like with him at the helm, with him being QB1? I think the goal is going to be run the ball, be ball control heavy, uh, have him infused in the running attack, and take your shots when your shots are presented. I mean – They pushed it down the field six times last week against Jacksonville State, a second-level defensive backfield. This week they're facing a high-level defensive backfield with a guy like Kyle Hamilton back there roaming around. So I think you got to be very selective on when you try to challenge them vertically. That's one thing that I want to caution listeners against with Jordan Travis and the the numbers that we presented here at the front of the podcast with him being so proficient with the deep shots – it was against an FCS secondary. I don't think I have to keep uh, harping on that point. But there was the throw to like Keyshawn Helton that was a little underthrown. That could be mm-hmm. dangerous against a more competent secondary. So that, that's something that we're going to have to kind of wait and see for this weekend. I think it's going to be really telling about what FSU has going forward, win or lose, if Jordan can at least consistently apply some pressure with the deep shots to Notre Dame. I think that would make you feel better moving forward uh, the rest of the season. I do want to see, you know, Notre Dame has a pretty athletic defensive front and they're going to be aggressive in the way they attack you. They're going to kind of change their fronts, go with some three, four stuff, uh, how he does when the pressure comes and, and whether he changes his habits with his footwork is something that they've really worked hard on. Uh, he did a really nice job with the footwork against Jacksonville state. So we'll see again with, with this understanding that there's going to be a huge leap in competition. Uh, let's take a look at Notre Dame real quick. They are 2-0. and oh. Uh, What are they ranked currently, Chris? Is it 9? Number 5 in the country. 5? Oh, my. Mm-hmm. And they're top 10 in multiple multiple categories uh, on defense, uh, yards per play, uh, passer rating allowed. I mean, this is a very, very good defense. Uh, the personnel we'll get to in a second on offense is very complete. And, and when you think of a Notre Dame offense, it, it kind of fits the bill there. Uh, the point spread last night was 20.5 points. It was taken off uh, the board for a few days, the odds makers. Had it taken down because there's what, about 11 players or so that are quarantining right now, and they don't know who those players are. Chris, uh, Notre Dame's had some issues with, with COVID, and that they're, that's going to be a factor in this game because of the rust. They haven't played since the middle of September. Right, yeah. Last affair was USF. They won, I believe, 52 to nothing, if I remember correctly. And since then, they've been shut down for three weeks. They were supposed to play Wake Forest. That game got postponed to December. Then they had their bye week, and now we're here. So it's been 21 days since their last game when they take the field on Saturday. That's going to be an interesting element to watch for this game because that is so much off time. We don't know how much rust Notre Dame is going to have. That may actually be something that, that plays to FSU's advantage. All right, Chris, you did the, the 247. I'm going to ask you to kind of recap that and maybe just go over some of the personnel for, for Notre Dame and based on the research you've done, uh, what stands out about the Fighting Irish this year? 
Well, I think the thing about Notre Dame that's going to help them weather the storm of rust and being down for a few weeks is the fact that they arguably have one of the best offensive lines in the country. It's a very experienced group. They've got three seniors up front, a redshirt junior and then a redshirt sophomore. That's what you're looking at in the starting five. Those guys are obviously going to block it up very well. They can run the ball effectively with Kyron Williams. Chris Tyree's a dynamic second running back for them in that attack. And then they have a guy like uh, Sebo Flemmeister, who's also a very talented back. So they've got kind of a one, two, three attack at the running back position. They got a couple receivers back, Kevin Austin, who's been down for much of the last year plus. And then uh, they got Ben Skoronek, I guess is how you pronounce his last name. He's also back. He's an additional piece at wide receiver. Their wide receiver group is talented. I wouldn't call them explosive and special, but they're good at doing their job. They're going to handle it well. They are very good at the tight end position. Tommy Tremble, Brock Wright, both very talented guys at that spot. Obviously, at quarterback, Ian Book's a pretty dynamic guy. He can get done with his arm. He can get done with his legs. So the offense is very well-rounded, very well put together. They can control the line of scrimmage. They can establish a run, definitely keep you off bounds. And they've got a quarterback who can certainly make you pay in the passing game when you make a mistake. Defensively, I think FSC's going to have massive issues with their defensive line. They're extremely talented up front. You know, Isaiah Foskey is a guy who is a reserve essentially for him at this point on the defensive line, but he leads them in sacks and tackles for loss. That just speaks to the depth and talent of their defensive line and what they can get done. And I love their secondary led by Kyle Hamilton. I think Kyle Hamilton is the second or third best safety in the ACC. Obviously, I love Hampson Azzardine. I think very highly of him because Nas was a guy that we didn't expect to play at the start of the year. I didn't put him on my old ACC team because we weren't sure how long he would be out for instead i put kyle hamilton that's how highly i think of kyle hamilton those two in paris ford are three guys in the league that i think are pretty outstanding at that position but hamilton just gets it done very talented kid from georgia the university of georgia loved him really want him they don't miss a lot on db so that kind of speaks to his level of talent and then they got a really experienced talented linebacker group jeremiah owosu karmoa He's a very, very talented redshirt junior. He kind of makes that group go, but he's not the only one. Drew White's your prototypical Notre Dame tackle-getting linebacker. So they're a well-rounded bunch. They don't make very many mistakes. They don't get penalized a ton. They're well-coached. Brian Kelly knows what he's doing. They're excellent on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. You know, I, I they don't give up a lot of points. I think they've given up 30 or more once in the last – since the beginning of three seasons ago. Um yeah, so they're not the kind of team you look at and you go, man, you can attack this or that. There are things you can do. You can try to get on a perimeter with them. You can try to use speed. Um, but this isn't your old slow-lugging Notre Dame. They're a pretty athletic bunch overall. So I, I think it's going to be a very tall task for FSU. I, I think they're facing probably the second most well-rounded team in the ACC behind Clemson. I went back and rewatched Notre before the podcast this morning. Went back and rewatched Notre Dame versus Duke in the opener, just to kind of see like, okay, where can you attack? Send new defense numbers were impressive. Where can you attack Notre Dame? I'm with you, Chris. Like, I don't know, I don't know where there's a good option on that on that defense. I don't know what presents itself as like, okay, you can have some success here. Chase Bryce did well pushing the ball a little bit and, and hitting some crossing patterns, but it wasn't consistent. Like, they don't give up anything consistently. I think that's what makes them so good. Yeah, it's for me, it's the kind of thing where if you do find early success, I don't think you keep going to the honeypot. I think right. Notre Dame has the ability to adjust and take things away in game. And that that's going to create an issue for FSU because FSU is only good at so many things currently as an offense. 
All right, so FSU travels to South Bend, Indiana for this game Saturday evening, 7.30 p.m. It'll be televised on NBC. Josh, do you know what's uh, what, in, what Indiana is known for? Mm, beer. The, um, the Indiana 500. I think it's the Indianapolis oh. 500. Larry Bird. <laughs> well, corn. COVID. Oh, corn, 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 okay. corn. Let's get to corn. Let's not do COVID before the sponsorship, Josh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Corn. You, you know what a primary ingredient in, in, in bourbon is? Is it corn? Corn. You know where you huh. can get you know where you can get bourbon? Indiana. Market Square Liquors, Josh. <laughs> Market Square Liquors. Uh, Market Square Liquors located off Timberlade Road in North Tallahassee in the Market Square Plaza. It's the best liquor store in the area by far. The selection of bourbons, whether it's just their normal selection or their store picks is excellent. I would recommend the store picks. I've enjoyed uh, my Russell's Reserve. I picked up there a couple of weeks ago. It's unique. It's really, really good. Uh, but their wine selection is vast. The beer wall in the back. They got all the beers, like the seasonal beers. It's getting a little cooler in Tallahassee. They got the pumpkin stuff. They got the Oktoberfest brews. So uh, so check out Market Square Liquors. And and if you need to load up before watching the game this, uh, this weekend, mm. I highly recommend Market Square Liquors. And also check out the lounge next door. An amazing bourbon selection. One of the best in the country. I want to focus on some of the things that FSU has done this past week and take the temperature of the fan base through you guys. I want to get your thoughts, Josh. How are you feeling about this team right now? You look relaxed. Is that touchdown Jesus I'm seeing? No, I'm, I'm, trying, to get, like I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get the feel. I'm trying to feel the, oh, the, the energy out here in the universe. I'm trying to get a real feel How for you. How are you feeling? Because I've, I've observed this. I think there's a maybe it's vocal minorities on both sides, but there's one section of the fan base that is really optimistic and it's like just Jordan Travis guy is going to be something and going to get us where we need to be. And then there's another half that's like, Oh, Notre Dame's going to, going to skull us. Yeah. But I think when you look on the inside, like you're saying, um, people want to just see some changes being made. And I think Mike Norvell's doing that. Of course you can't just flip an entire roster in the couple months that he's been here. So it's going to happen over time. Most recently we saw Cyrus Fagan um, put his name in the portal and be removed from the roster. But like you said, we saw Dante Lucas sit. Um, We've seen there's some stuff going on with Tamari and Terry, maybe against the Miami game where he didn't get in at times. They they talked about an injury there, but Mike Norvell has kind of had to, I don't want to say win back, just win over this locker room. Um, really, I would say I would say takeover, not take yeah, o- like takeover. Maybe that's what's happening. I, I think there was some control exerted the past couple of days. Is that where you're going, Josh? Because that's how I would describe. It. I don't think win over is what he's doing. I think he's like laying down the law a little bit. Yeah, I think that would probably be a better way to say it. Um, everybody just assumes that when a new coach gets here, the players buy in because that's what they say. Everybody says that they're buying in and, and all that. But we saw between the multiple player revolts in the offseason and just guys flying off the handle on social media and and, and voicing their opinions, um, we saw that it kind of needed to be reined in. And you can't just walk in and say, okay, everybody listen to me. This is how it's going to go. Just in real life, it doesn't work like that. Not everybody truly buys in right away. 
and you do need to kind of purge the roster a little bit. And Willie Taggart spoke about doing that, but we never really saw the action behind it. And with Mike Norvell, we're kind of seeing that take place right now. I'll answer your actual original question about the fan base's uh, temperature. Temp- temperature. Um, I would say it's a mixed bag. There, there's some that are very optimistic about what Jordan Travis brings to the table and think he is the answer. There's some who think Jacksonville State is Jacksonville State and you can't put too much weight into it. And I think the thing that I've been most pleased with is we've seen a healthy gravitation even on a message board, which is a land of fanatics, and that's not a knock. That's just what it is of people that fully understand. Shout out this. to the fanatics. You pay, a, you pay our bills. We're not talking shit you. about you. This is a full-blown rebuild, and it's going to take time, and that's why we're seeing roster turnover. That's why we're seeing a youth movement. That's why we're seeing you know, coach that on Wednesday was very much direct about what his team mm-hmm. did in practice. Um, you know, We saw the talk of we're playing a lot of guys on defense because guys aren't stepping up more than anything. That's the main reason you're seeing so many guys. is It's not because we're trying to play 40 guys or 25 guys. I think the number's more around 25. It's because we're trying to find guys to step up. We need guys to make plays. And I, I think it's a positive that that has sunk in for – it definitely has sunk in for myself. I think it has sunk in for a lot of people in the fan base. Of it. It's just – it's going to take time. they got to get drastically better. they got to recruit better, and they got to – hit the portal and find some immediate answers and make them a better football team when the calendar turns to next year. Chris mentioned recruiting. I don't want to give too much away. We have a pretty like in-depth recruiting section coming up after the break in about 15, 20 minutes or so. So stick around for that. Uh, Josh, you mentioned buy-in. I think both of you talked about buy-in just now. I'm convinced like that there was a point in the preseason where they kind of started turning the corner and, and buying into Mike Norvell. Yeah, until they started losing games. Until they lost, until Georgia Tech happened. And that's, that been, that's been the same thing we have saw with Willie Taggart, is just how the house of cards kind of scenario with this, this Look, football program. There's no buy-in without winning. So right. we can throw that out the window. Like, you can't have a team that's completely bought in that wins two games. Like, it's just not going to happen. That's not how things operate. Um Buy-in correlates with winning as, as FSU proves that they can win football games. You're going to see more players quote unquote buy in and that's how it goes. But there's veterans, there's veterans on this team who are just done. They're not ever going to be part of a buy-in. And I think the bleeding of the roster is part of that. You see guys that you can't be half stepping right now at Florida state and be a veteran and get away. And I think that exists more on defense right now, uh, just based on like, like I watched this defense play. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but they just don't seem to either believe in the scheme. And I asked Adam Fuller about that the other day, and, and initially he's like, I don't think it's them not believing in, in the scheme. It's just a matter of, like, guys got to step up. And I don't know. I just There seems to be a disconnect somewhere with well, the defense I think bel- and the scheme. Belief comes with confidence, and confidence comes with success, and they've had no defensive success, so no confidence has been bred, therefore no buy-in has happened in that sense. I mean, the offense, the thing that drastically changed for the offense from a week ago today to now is that they had success on Saturday. They put together six touchdown drives in a seven-drive span, including five in a row, and in the third quarter, they looked like a real football team for the first time this year on offense consistently, drive after drive, play after play, and that's why suddenly this week it seems like guys on the offense feel a whole lot more confident about what they're trying to accomplish. 
And that's what you have to have. This program lacks confidence. It has lacked confidence for years now. And there's a lot of players who have no confidence. And when things go bad, they just accept they're going bad. They don't know how to fight that. They, they aren't conditioned that way. They haven't been prepared that way in the sense of their time as an FSU football player has prepared them to handle adversity. We talk about constantly – how are you going to handle adversity? Well, the answer with this football team for a lot of guys is not well. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and on Saturday, we're going to get another example of probably them facing adversity. And we're going to learn if they've improved any in that regard over the last two to three weeks span, dating back to the Miami game where it was clear adversity punched them in the face again. They wilted and they laid down and played dead. There are two points that I want to get to based on what you said, Chris. Uh, the first, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball and confidence. Did you catch Mike Norvell's comments? I think it was Monday. He said, essentially, we need our best players to play their best games. I yeah. took that. I absorbed that as Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, defensive front in general, J-Rob, Joshua Kando. Like, this is where you start making your money against that offensive line. If you want to turn it around, you at least have to show a pulse here. I'm yeah, sorry. and I, I thought the defensive comments about – playing so many guys, but we really need guys to step up was a further reiteration of that. Yeah. I mean, he, it's, he, it's, he, he echoed what Adam Fuller said. I wonder when Adam said that, if that was like talking out of school a little bit. Nope. Norvell came back and said the exact same thing the, the next day. I mean, that's the point they're at. They're four games into a season and they've got some guys who have NFL aspirations and want to be high draft picks. It's time for them to play like it. And if they, if they play like it, FSU will be a better football team. It, I think it's very matter of fact. And truthfully, I'm happy that we have a coach that will now just be straightforward about it. And if he needs to put people on blast in a somewhat politically based calm manner, then hell do it. Like I'm all for it. I don't coddle them. They're not here to be baby. You know, Marvin Wilson needs to play better football. Tamorian Terry, and I know he's been banged up, needs to play better football. He has in the last two weeks. And for that reason, he got praised by his head coach yesterday, singled out and praised. They pushed him and he responded, which is really, really encouraging. I know the sample size is one game in Jacksonville State, but that was encouraging. He got pushed and responded. It's good stuff. I I like that Norvell's fairly direct about stuff outside of injuries. Obviously, no coach on earth seems to like to talk about injuries, and he certainly doesn't. But it is a positive that he – you have to be direct with a football team who's not very good. What's the difference? If you're not direct with them, they're probably still going to lose. If you're direct with them, maybe you break through and you get better. Like to me, the I don't see a negative in essentially putting guys kind of on the spot in a manner like that. And I, some, some I, people would say, not, oh, recruiting and stuff, but, but like if they're not winning games, he's not getting, but the he's not anyways, doing it just, so. it's not just him messaging to us. I'm pretty confident that's happening in practice. That's right. happening in conversations with the team. In recruiting, I think guys are going to get a pretty sensible feel that Mike Norvell is a fairly direct human being. He's not going to lie to you. He's going to he's going to tell you what his thoughts are on the subject, and he's going to make sure he chooses his words wisely, and he's very direct with them. That's good. I, I think long-term, the benefit of that is positive. And right now, FSU is not about short-term goals. They're about long-term solutions. The We mentioned Tamar and Terry. We mentioned Cyrus Fagan leaving after playing – Saturday. Uh, and Josh, you mentioned Dante Lucas. Now we had heard some rumors going into last week about Dante Lucas and his availability, not, not just mm-hmm. even for the game, but like whether with the team and, and I couldn't confirm it. So I didn't want to put that out there. And then right before the game, it comes out that 
Dante Lucas and Marie Smith are, are suspended. I didn't, admittedly had no idea about Marie Smith. That caught me off guard. But Dante Lucas, not as much. Uh, Marie Smith plays in the second half. Dante Lucas dresses out but has to watch the entire game. And that was kind of his punishment, I guess, for, for violating team rules. How did you absorb what Mike Norvell said, Josh, about Dante Lucas and kind of actually praising him for the way he was engaged and responded to the quote-unquote punishment? Yeah, he probably just needed to sit down. I mean, his play was declining along with his as his emotions got the best of him. So I think it was more just like, take a break. I don't know if he necessarily, you know, if Dante Lucas was playing at a very high level and he got into it with some Miami players after the game and got emotional, you think he'd be suspended? I don't think so. Maybe for the first half, like Murray Smith, because they both, well, Maybe. they both, Maybe. they both did the, I don't want to get too much. They both Maybe. did the same, they both I did just the same think thing. At the end of the day, if Dante Lucas was the best offensive lineman on this team, uh, performance wise, he'd be playing. And, but I think it was good for him to sit down because I think, Part of um, the reason why his play isn't where it needs to be is because of his emotion. So maybe having him sit out a game and just have a different perspective on the game that's being played uh, will help him improve just staying cool and calm in the game because I think that's kind of what's hindering him a little bit. So I, I think it was good. Norvell played to shows, I think – it shows Norvell having an understanding of like, you have to push the right buttons. Everyone responds to different things, obviously yeah. differently. And Dante Lucas, we, you mentioned the emotions, Josh, he's someone who is emotional, both. It could be unproductive sometimes, but he loves his teammates. Like he does. Mm-hmm. Like I remember watching him in, uh, in was it the chase? What What's the off season stuff called Chris Totora duty. That was the chase was back couple of stats to go uh but the tour of duty watching dante lucas cheer on teammates like during conditioning drills when he was still on a scooter uh the walking scooters and was like sprinting across the field with one leg to go and follow the office lineman from drill to drill like he's someone who does profoundly care about his teammates so for the punishment to be him on the sideline watching you know brady scott's not wasn't available last week so they were down two guards uh, Andrew Baselli's in there, and then they're having to rotate in different guys and probably went with like six or seven different combinations with Devontae Love-Taylor moving around. So so to watch your team kind of struggle without you, uh, I thought that was an interesting way to try to speak to Dante Lucas and show like your emotions, while positive, can be positive, like they need to be in check because this team relies on you. And here's what happens when you're not available physically and sometimes mentally. So yeah, I, I thought that was a good thing. I think Norvell made some strides after being out quarantining, seeing the the team lose control of its emotions in so many different ways against Miami, Mm -hmm. the way it responded last week was ultimately really, really productive. Uh, One other thing on offense that I want to note, Chris, get your thoughts, because we talked about the defense playing a ton of different players to try to figure things out. The offense got progressively more, aside from the offensive line, out of necessity, it got progressively more, I guess smaller, like the rotations weren't as big. The wide receiver rotations were pretty limited. The three running backs is who they went with. Uh, the tight ends, just two guys pretty much right now. And then Jordan Travis. I I took that as as kind of a good thing of them finding their quote-unquote identity. Who do they trust? Yeah. That's what we saw on Saturday, right? It was who, who's, yeah. Who, yeah. who do you trust? Yep. The, the one receiver who didn't play that everybody knows we're talking about, Warren Thompson, dropped a lot of balls. And he was dressed out, right, Chris? Yeah. yeah, he was dressed out. He was present. Has dropped a lot of balls. 
do you trust him? You don't trust him. Pokey Wilson's out there making plays. You stick with him. You trust him. I, I, I think it's very clear with Mike Norvell that what you do Monday to Friday is going to pay off on Saturday. But if you don't do it on Saturday, there's going to be repercussions. And mm-hmm. it's that simple. And that's the way a program needs to be run when you're trying to develop a roster. There's not enough guys on this team. Heck, there's very few guys on this team that deserve the benefit of the doubt. I have one other item to get to before we take the break and then transition into recruiting and our Notre Dame prediction. Demory Tate, it's been asked about. Did you ask that question, Chris? I wasn't part of the press conference. No, Irish okay. Rafael from Warchain okay. asked the question. Right. He, asked, he asked about Demory's status, you know, obviously being a highly ranked recruit. People are wondering with him having not played, what was his status? And Norvell explained at that point that he, uh, you know, he's he's practicing and he's doing well in that setting, but he's not going to play this year as an academic redshirt. Obviously, people immediately ask, what's an academic redshirt? Basically, this is the exact same scenario Travis J went through a year ago. He's an individual who had something during his high school academic career that essentially was flagged on his entry into FSU. That has to be handled, sorted out. It results in him not being available in year one. He should be fine to go year two as long as he does everything correctly in year one at FSU. Josh, FSU had three top 200 recruits in this past class. It wasn't an elite class. They did have some nice players at the top of it, but but not a ton. One of them is Demory Tate, who was a borderline five-star cornerback. Uh, Chubba Purdy was a top 200 recruit. And then Brian Robinson, the, the four-star wide receiver, was a top 200 yeah. recruit. They've gotten one, one game out of those three so far uh, because of Chubba with the shoulder injury, Brian Robinson having the lingering, I believe ankle, but we'll say lower leg injury and Demore Tate with this, just the, the gut punch, the bad luck. I feel like Florida State's had so much of it. And this is just another example of, we talk about a youth movement and they can't even get their best youth on the field. Yeah, it's, it's the top of their class. Um, it'd be concerning if we weren't only three games in. I mean, we know what's going on with Demore Tate. Um, he's going to get his academics in order and he'll return probably very similar to what we saw with Travis Jay last year. I mean, Jay, you know, it's been a seamless return outside of some injuries for him, but as far as seeing the field, I mean, Jay was able to get on there early. So I think Tate will as well. Once he's reacclimated with the program, Brian Robinson injuries, Trevor Purdy injuries. So it's unfortunate, but I don't think this is going to be a long-term issue for FSU. Now, if, when, when you start losing the top of your recruiting class, that's a big problem, but this is a, this is only temporary. This is short term. It's just, I think it is. Cherry, what it is I think it's just cherry on top to just some, yeah, some bad sure. breaks. It's just not, not ideal. It's unfortunate. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's 2020 and you're a Florida state fan. This is, this is life. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. We have some potential good news coming up on the other side of the break. So stick with us. Uh, maybe a little commitment scoop. We'll see. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, 
every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We are finishing up this episode with a handful of recruiting items. Let's start at the top. Full transparency. Uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, this portion may be irrelevant. Let's talk about four-star defensive lineman from Orlando Boone High School, Chambre Jackson. Zach Blostein dropped a, a Blostein bomb, a blom, as Trey Rowland likes to call it, on our message board last night that that Chambre was leaning towards making a commitment. Well, today, I should say. He said it yesterday, so he said it was going to be tomorrow. But it's today, here, Thursday, as we're recording the podcast. Uh, as Sean Brady's leaning towards making a commitment. Fellas, please just go ahead and discuss, because I know there's a lot to, to vet through. So I'm just going to throw this out to both of you. You go ahead, do your thing, and they'll let us know what you expect the next, I guess, few hours to be like. Well, anytime you get a defensive lineman who Alabama and Auburn wants, you, you probably should be pretty damn pleased with yourself. Well, do we know that they're getting him, though, def- definitively? I mean, I, I, yes, I expect Florida State to land Jackson. I, okay. Yeah, FSU's been sort of the leader here for several months, uh, truthfully dating back to his visit. So that's pre-March 12th um, when you were allowed to visit and actually meet coaches because NCAA didn't make stupid rules. Um He's he's a talented big body guy. We list him at six two thirty. He'll tell you he's taller. I think six four and a half, two fifty is what he told me last time we talked. Yeah, split the difference. Say six three two forty. Um, I don't know what he is right now because you know Andrew Ivans is the last person to see him in person. He didn't bring a scale with him that day. Um, but he, big body kid. He's a strong side DN right now. I think he can certainly stay there if he so chooses. But he's big enough and he has a frame to easily pack on a little bit more size and slide on inside. So he could definitely help you in both ways. Yeah. Uh, nice kid, well-rounded kid, sharp on and off the field, good work ethic on the field, good team player for Boone. He's a guy who does a good job of being what he should be as a senior for the high school football team. I think he's a very, very, very good addition for FSU in a class where they need more of his types. Are you assuming that it's going to be a commitment, Josh? You cool with that? That we're we're moving forward because it's not a hundred percent definitive. I just want to be transparent. Yeah, I, we are <clears throat> all have our crystal balls in, but we don't have like a at this moment we don't have a like total confirmation. It's going to be FSU, right? For those that are into things like this, I put a crystal ball pick in on July 29th, twenty twenty. You don't say. You don't there's say. a there's a segment of our audience that is into things like that and like to know. 
who was the first to put the crystal ball in. So it was actually June 29th, Josh. Don't shortchange yourself. Oh, he yourself. shortchanged himself. Yeah, there you go. June 29th. Um, Josh, you're so humble. You're, but the, you asked me where I think he's going. You could ask me on June 29th the same question. I would tell Jeff is you. Oh, I'm asking, are we like 100% confident? I know we all think he's going to Florida State. Look at I the don't follows. know. It's recruiting. No, I'm never 100% confident right. in anything. I mean, sometimes like we have Especially when it comes to recruiting. The most recent follow for Chambray was Kobe Gross, FSU. Mm. Hat tip to Odell Higgins. He's the lead recruiter here. Dealt with yeah. a young man from early on. May end up being his position coach in college as well. Don't Adam you give Fuller. Odell credit. Adam Don't Fuller, you do that? Adam Fuller also heavily involved um, yes. in this recruitment as well. But yeah, Odell the primary on this one. So that'll be an interesting narrative to see how the Odell haters spin that one on the message board mm-hmm. later. But Mm-hmm. Um, he put in work on this one. I mean, they identified Chambry early on, like Chris said, and got him on campus, luckily, right before the shutdown. And they've really been kind of in control of his recruitment since. There were some questions all along the way of when he would co- commit, but I think kind of FSU's been been the favorite all along. Chris, is it fair to say that Alabama really, really likes Chambry, but maybe just doesn't, like, isn't in love with him? But, they, but Saban seems to, to like him. There's some level of infatuation, just maybe not as much as like a few of the, the other top guys on their board. Yeah, Alabama thinks he's an excellent big body defensive end. I think he can be a really good player for him. Their main issue right now is that they're running a little high on numbers and they have a lot of targets on the board and they've got kind of some pieces they got to move around on the D-line to figure out exactly which way they're going to go there. You know, somebody asked me, is he a take for them right now? I don't know the answer to that question definitively. But Alabama is one of those situations where sometimes they need guys to just play it with patience because they're not quite sure if it's going to work today, but it may work down the line. I think Chambray falls into that category for them. But, yes, they certainly like him. They were very active with him throughout his recruitment. They remain active with him. They're a school that, you know, the communication was there. If Alabama wanted to close on him, they put themselves in a position to do so successfully. And I'm not saying that in the sense of, oh, he's going to commit to FSU and flip to Alabama. I'm saying in the sense of Alabama did what Alabama does in recruiting to set themselves up to have success in the end with kids that they like. So right now, as we record this podcast on Thursday morning, we assume, like we woke up assuming that he was, based on the intel we had, was going to make a decision today. Uh, if that changes after we post the podcast, Chris or Josh or, or Zach will have an update on those 247com Chris, you drove out to Jacksonville this past week, talked to yep. a couple guys, but the headliner, of course, is Brandon Jennings, the four-star linebacker commitment for the Seminoles. Uh, and you posted the story on Knowles247.com. I do recommend people check it out. It's a VIP story, so you, you have to subscribe to Knowles247. That's the recruiting content that that's worth paying for because uh, I'll let you kind of kind of preview the story, Chris, but it was really insightful, I thought, into Brandon and, and his view of the program right now and how he fits in in, in the long term uh, with the Seminoles. Yeah, I dropped into Sandalwood on Friday afternoon and spent about 10, 15 minutes with Brandon. Known Brandon a long time, uh, known his father even longer. We just chatted, and my first question to him out of the gate was, what position do you expect to play at Florida State? And his response, middle linebacker, but that I can play any of the linebacker positions. Now, for his high school team, they move him around a lot. They use a lot of different fronts. They play 3-4, 4-3, They'll use him as a backer. They'll use him as a stand-up end. Truthfully, a lot of teams run away from him, so they kind of use him to leverage the field and push everything one direction. 
Um, Brandon's a really talented, big kid. He's still growing. He's not close to done growing. I get why people think he may end up a Fox, and I don't think it's nonsensible to think that, but he fully believes he's going to play linebacker, and he believes it's going to be the Mike position. His primary guy on this staff is Chris Merv, but he also talks to JP. He talks to Coach Norvell a lot. Um, he's very firm to FSU. He's not being rude to other schools, still talking to him. I brought up Maryland specifically to him because I know they've been involved. And he said, yeah, they're one of the schools that reaches out to me. But he's like, they know I'm, I'm planning to go, that I'm planning to be a Seminole. Um, and that's pretty much the gist of it with him. But I, you know, I, I fully believe he can stay at linebacker. I know some people think he's going to grow out of it. I don't think he's grown out of it. I think he's, very well made for it. And if you ever watch Brandon play in person or you've watched him on TV or had an opportunity to watch his video from Sandalwood, he's excellent at what you want a linebacker to be, which is physical, fast, aggressive, gets to the ball, creates havoc, creates turnovers at the ball, finishes plays extremely well. So I, I think he'd be a welcome added addition to a linebacker group that definitely has some youth movement with guys like DJ Lundy and Steven Dix, big physical, fast, aggressive players. And he'd be the next one in that group. Another update that I want you guys to go over real quick for the audience is Keon Coleman, the uh, very athletic wide receiver from Louisiana decommits from Kansas. Now, this is someone that FSU was in the running for when he initially committed to Kansas. He's a two sport guy, basketball, hence why Kansas. Uh, and then with Destin Hill, formerly Destin Pazon, uh, where that recruitment trends is another Louisiana wide receiver. If you guys can just kind of update, I know they're kind of related uh, where we think FSU is with both of those guys and the developments there. I'll let Josh take most of it, but I want to be clear it's not one or the other. Uh, yeah. I think some. I think some people think that now nah, that FSU would easily take both, and FSU's remained involved with both, including Coleman during his commitment. And Coleman. I don't think their re- recruitments are related in terms of whether, like Chris said, or where they're headed. Um, Keon Coleman, like you said, was committed to Kansas. He's six foot four, two hundred wide, two hundred pound wide receiver from Opelousas Catholic High School in Louisiana. Um, FSU was in on him early. Yak Johnson got in on uh, Keon Coleman and Destin Pazon Hill Hill now. Um, back when he arrived on campus, I mean, these were kind of the two guys, two wide receivers out of Louisiana that they really wanted. Um, and for good reason. They're, they're two of the best in the country right now. Um, Keon Coleman decommitted from Kansas. We do know FSU's been in contact with him. Kenny Dillingham and Yak Johnson both have a good relationship with him. Um, but Chris, you, you don't believe FSU is the favorite here coming out of this one, out of his decommitment. I wouldn't be quick to call them a favorite. I don't know that there's definitively a favorite. There's some people that think Oklahoma, who was one of the finalists when he committed to Kansas, is going to be a big player. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard immediately after his decommitment to keep an eye on Michigan state that they've done a real good job with him. Obviously the basketball part is very appealing for Michigan state. He is interested in FSU. FSU is certainly interested in him. FSU obviously has a very good basketball program these days, even though it's maybe not thought of in the same level as a Kansas or Michigan State. Two contenders for him during this process are more thought of blue bloods, while FSU is more of a new blood. Um, you're welcome, Leonard. I fit that one in for you. There you go. Um, but, yeah, I, I think FSU is a player. I don't think I'd brand them necessarily the favorite. Okay. Um Moving on to Destin Hill, 
you guys may remember Dustin Hill's Dustin Payson when you were introduced to him. He changed his last name to Hill in, in August. Um, the news with Dustin Hill is UF and Alabama are trending. UF has been in much more contact with them. They've ramped it up um, in recent weeks, Alabama as well. Um, I put in a crystal ball pick for Destin Hill back on March 30th. Um, I felt real good about Destin Payson going to FSU. I don't feel as good about Destin Hill. And it happened right about the same time that he changed his last name, which also coincided with the start of the football season. Um, Destin Hill visited FSU in March for junior day prior to the shutdown. That was great to get him on campus. He was offered and he named FSU his, I think he said like front runner or something, maybe not the words leader. Uh, that's when the crystal ball started going in for him. He was going to come back again in the spring. Of course, the shutdown happened. None of that occurred. Destin Hill pops back up in Tallahassee in late July uh, for an unofficial visit on his own dime. We've, we've seen a handful of prospects do that at FSU over the summer. Hill was one of them. Rumors were flying that he was in town to tape a part of his commitment video. Uh, we never confirmed that. We never reported that, but that was what was kind of being said. He did not commit in, in the short term thereafter. Um, we kind of knew it was important that FSU needed to get him on before the season started. Destin Hill opted not to make any decision before the season started. And if you're a top wide receiver in the country right now and you're uncommitted and you got programs like UF and Alabama who both have top wide receiving cores coming at you with interest, of course it's going gonna, it's gonna to spark some interest in you as well. So right now FSU is in a, in, in a battle. Um, and they're in a battle with UF and Alabama for Hill. So not sure how this is going to end up. I'm definitely not as confident in my crystal ball pick as I was when I put it in in March. Um, we'll see which way this one trends. But FSU is going to have to play better on offense to land somebody like Destin Hill. Does it count, Josh, if you put in your crystal ball for Destin Payson and Destin Hill commits elsewhere? Like, do you lose the points on that? I don't think that should count. No, I, I keep all the points if I win. Okay. Couple of things to add on Alabama for him. They currently have three wide receiver commitments. Mm -hmm. uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, who's a stud IMG kid. Josh has seen him in person this yes. year. Excellent football player. Christian Larry from Edgewater in Orlando. Very talented athlete. Pretty dynamic. Were you good that I've seen him in person as well? Yeah, it's true. You did see him. In the same game, right? Same game. <laughs> and and Agile Hall, who I guess is – is he now at Bloomingdale? He's he is at Bloomingdale. Josh has seen him in person down. before too. Yeah, yeah saw, <laughs> saw him at Armwood three schools ago. So they, they do have three receivers in their class. I don't think Alabama's as much of a concern as Florida. Florida's more concerned because they've ramped up communication so mm -hmm. much here recently. <clears throat> and obviously their offense is having some major success on Saturday. Afternoon. And if you remember all throughout – Hill mentioned UF like in his top three when they put a top three out um, at, at one point or the schools that were recruiting him hardest, but nobody really gave UF that much credit in it because FSU was always considered just such the front runner. Uh, yeah. Some people thought maybe he was even just throwing UF in there just because, but he did take a visit there. I think right before he came to UF or FSU in March, but now it's a real thing. Um, and the Gators are putting up a lot of touchdowns through the air. Um, Florida State's just going to have to play better. If, if they play better, I think they'll have a legit shot at landing him. I don't think it's too far gone at this point. I still think um, I'm not changing my crystal ball just yet, but if they don't play better, I, I, I'm not real confident. 
His longest relationship is with Yak. I believe Coach Johnson was the first coach to offer mm-hmm. him back when he was at Tennessee. He's also developed a bond with Kenny Dillingham, Ron Dugans. Mike Norvell has obviously been heavily involved in that one as well. So there's a lot of connections to the staff. I, I still I have him as a 10, which is a lock, obviously. I still feel confident in his commitment. I don't know if I'd label it necessarily a lock at this point, obviously. For Chris to go a 10, I think some of our listeners understand the significance of that, but maybe right. not everyone. <laughs> Yeah, Chris, I, like, going above a seven in anything in life. Like, like he's getting anxious, right? I could see the body language shifted right now thinking se- about it. Seven is a new nine for me. <laughs> so, yeah, ten's like a 13. <laughs> um, but I still feel confident in it. But obviously, there's reasons to keep an eye on it at the same time. I don't want to dismiss the fact that Florida is actually a player in this recruitment at this point. I got a feeling if they lose – if I know I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Shocking. If they were to lose – Dustin Hill to Florida specifically, the fan based reaction to that would be quite a doozy. Quite a doozy. Well, they and they they need I a receiver. understand why, right? They right. need a receiver. <laughs> they need a receiver that makes yards disappear and is electric. And if you go look at the highlights, Edna Carr played last evening where Dustin Hill plays at. They played last evening because of concerns over Hurricane Delta, I believe. Um, go watch his highlights. The way he moves, the quickness of his acceleration the way he makes yards disappear, the way he catches it, high points it in the mm-hmm. air. He's just everything they need and more at wide receiver. They need a dynamic playmaker with some plus – he's not huge, but plus size for a slottish type who can also play outside. Yeah, he, he can be pretty dynamic special piece. If you're trying to rebuild an offense and turn it into something that explosive playmakers are, you know, centerpieces of he is the exact type of player you want, you need, and you need to close on. I'm – yeah, I've voiced this to you guys many times. It's disappointing to me that they haven't closed them to this point in time because mm-hmm. you don't want to be having this conversation. You'd much rather, and obviously, he'd still be getting recruited even if he was committed, but you'd much rather have him be a centerpiece of your class currently than a guy that's still dangling out there as he is. Let's see. I got one more, one more recruiting. That's uh, not even really an update. Just a reminder the Luke Altmeyer four game season highlight came out the other day. Josh did a little bolt on it. Luke Altmaier is really good. Like I, I feel confident in, in saying that, that he's, he's a, four yeah, star. Really impressive. Can, we, can we say he's a four-star quarterback? Can we just say it at this point? Four-star QB. Isn't he? Is he not on the composite, composite but don't ask our message oh, for, they you. want that. They want that extra one point in the composite. I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. There are two plays in that. In the first minute, the first one is 20 seconds in where he gets pressure from the right, spins away from the defensive end, slides up in the pocket to avoid the the defensive end on his left or the right side defensive end, and then rolls out and throws the ball while off platform. It's a beautiful strike downfield, uh, just the pocket presence, the athleticism within the pocket, absurdly impressive for a high schooler. And then did something similarly about a minute into that, that highlight tape as well, where uh, he basically like darts under two guys coming off the edge, uh, stays with his frame facing downfield and, and is able to launch the ball. He's just really, really good at manipulating angles in the pocket. And it's an elite trait for him that I think is, is often overlooked. Like you look at raw athleticism, like no, the ability to move in the pocket, throw on the run is athleticism. It's just not something that you can quantify. So I continue to be really impressed with Luke Altmaier. 
I know who is it? Ole Miss, Chris. That's that's still pushing a little bit there. I, I hope FSU can hang on. Ole Miss, yeah. Ole Miss is the program. Uh, there was a threat from Alabama over the summer, but it seems like Ole Miss is the one that's kind of zeroed in on him. The Lane Train. He also was named to the Alabama Mississippi All Star Game, which is played mm-hmm. in mid December. Good All Star Game. A lot of really good players have gone through that game over the years. I actually used to go over there and cover in the early 2010s, and it's usually. You know, it's not a great game because it's a little lopsided. A lot of Mississippi kids are Juco-bound types. But you find a few really good ones in it. And it's always good for a quarterback to be in a showcase event like that because there's a lack of prep to it. So you kind of have to just live with what you're good at. And I think sometimes that showcase is the best of a guy because the preparation doesn't match the game. You're not able to prepare as a quarterback. You don't build rhythm. You don't build timing. You don't build a playbook. So it's more about just your natural ability kind of being showcased. We might be one of us, maybe rolling out to that game to cover uh, to cover Altmaier when when it happens. If uh, if the recruiting part is still up in the air and interesting to get some some updates, COVID pending, pandemic pending. Any other recruiting updates? Well, obviously a few decisions coming up in the coming days. You know, Ruquan Buckley and Marius Mims are both due up on October fourteenth. Um, at this point, I wouldn't project either to FSU. I think Mims is an SEC battle. I think Buckley's more of a Nebraska-Michigan State 1-2. I think FSU's running third there among those. Mm-hmm. River Helms is a day later on the 15th. FSU's in the mix there. I know there's still contact with Chris Thompson and the staff. I don't think he's a lock to FSU at this point. I think Georgia Tech and UCF are the other two programs to keep an eye on. I know Georgia Tech is definitely one that's in play up to the final moment. Um I think that's about it as far as guys that are on the verge of decisions that we expect. Obviously, Destin Hill is one we keep an eye on, but to this point in time, he's been in no rush. So I think we need to just continue with that mentality if he's not going to rush this thing. All right, let's 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 wrap this bad boy up. Predictions. FSU at number five, Notre Dame, 7.30 p.m. on Saturday, NBC. I want Josh, Josh to go first yeah, because I want, I want to see first. if he picks FSU just for the heck of it. Yeah. We're on to your game, Newberg. All Al- credibility no, I mean, lost. Al- algorithm my, it up. I base my predictions on my algorithm. Uh, 38-17 Notre Dame. All right. I was going to say 37-17 Notre Dame. So one point I was, difference. I was going to say 41-17 Notre Dame. So FSU I, scored 17 points? I, I, I just Maybe think Notre Dame is going to control the line of scrimmage. I think FSU has the ability to cut, get a couple breakout plays potentially and maybe something on special teams. I feel like they're really close to breaking through on special teams with a big one. Let yeah. me ask you guys this two-part question. One, what's more likely in your mind, a blowout loss for FSU or a narrow like go down to the fourth quarter kind of loss for FSU? What do you what do you expect to be more likely? I know we kind of went in between blowout there. Loss. I think blowout loss because I think Notre Dame has the ability to jump on you early, but Notre Dame's got to shake off rust at the same time. That the rust factor with Notre Dame has made me a little hesitant to think they're going to be firing on all cylinders. Is it bad that I'm not absorbing a 20 point loss like we all predict predicted as like a blowout <laughs> for Florida State, like the Miami game was? I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't think it's going to be like the Miami game. I don't think it's going to be roll over, play dead, and let them do whatever hell they want. I think it's going to be more they wear you down and late in the game they put a couple on there to stretch the lead out significantly. You know, I think it's good, like a two touchdown game maybe in the third quarter, and by the end of the fourth quarter it's a four touchdown type of game. You know, ballpark three to four touchdown type well, game. Let's say Chris that that scenario starts to unfold in the third quarter where FSU is maybe down by two scores. 
and something crazy happens, block, punt, whatever, FSU cuts it to the score, and that keeps it close for the rest of the game. Let's say FSU loses by like 10 points where they're in striking distance for the entire game. How do you think the fan base would absorb a narrow loss, and how would you feel about that as you kind of think about the the, the context of the rest of the season with, with that sort of out, outcome? I think seeing a team of FSU's type here recent years battle to the end is a huge positive. All right, guys, that that's what we want, FSU. Battle to the bitter end. That, that's all we can ask for this weekend. Anything else, fellas, before we wrap this up? Nope. All right. For Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Hopefully the energy was dialed up a little bit from last time. Hopefully FSU brings the energy on Saturday. We'll be back with you. We'll do an instant reaction pod after the game. Maybe even an emergency pod if there's a four-star commitment today. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.